Well, let me introduce you to John. John went to church every Sunday. He was a believing young man. And before he was about to start his first job after university, he went to the evening service of his church where he was a member. He sat and listened to his pastor preach passionately on the death of Christ. John was physically moved and emotionally moved and spiritually moved. And he, is, he was full of love for his Lord, that his Lord would do that for him, that he would die on a cross to take away his sin, that he could be reconciled to God. He was so full of love that he said to the Lord quietly during the sermon, I love you, Lord. If you did this for me, then I will do anything for you, Lord. Anything. He really did mean what he said. He left church that night as if he was walking on earth. He's so full of love for the Lord that if you'd asked him, there and then, if the Lord had said to him, there and then, I want you to go here and tell people about Jesus, he would have gone. It was, it was unquestionable in his mind. That night he had a very meaningful prayer time before he lay down to sleep. He then had a good night's sleep. He got up the next morning, bright and early, nervous because he was about to start his first job after university. And during the, the morning of his uh, working life, the man who he was placed alongside to work with constantly used the Lord's name in vain and constantly swore throughout the whole morning. Towards lunchtime, he looked at John, presumably noticing that John was slightly different from other people in the office. And so he said to John, you're not one of these born-again Christians, are you? John, without thinking, immediately answered, good Lord, no. As soon as he said it, his heart sunk. Not only had he denied his Lord, but he had used the Lord's name carelessly. He felt dreadful. He felt sick. But he couldn't take his words back. The damage has been done. John's experience is the experience of many believers, isn't it? Who, one moment are prepared to do anything for the Lord, and yet in a flash, in a moment, caught off guard and deny the Lord. That's Peter's experience in the passage that we're looking at this evening. Here he is, Peter, the great apostle, and yet here he is denying his Lord. Not just denying his Lord, but doing so with oaths and curses. And I want to ask, really, how is it possible for Peter to deny the Lord? What happened to him? So what I want to do this evening is I want to just take you through those uh, three denials. And then we want to try and address the question, why did Peter deny his Lord? 
In verse 56 of our text, of our passage, we're told that when Jesus was arrested, all the disciples, including Peter, fled. They ran away. The man who had been with Jesus, the man who had watched him, observed him, listened to him, worked alongside him, prayed with him, they all fled. But Peter, he just couldn't stay away, could he? Because we read that Peter followed the mob who had arrested him. And although he kept himself at a distance and was, was uh, discreet in his following, yet he wasn't prepared to completely deny him. He wanted to at least identify with Jesus in, in Jesus' moment of crisis. We're told in verse 58 that he, he wants to know how this whole episode will end. So let's give Peter some credit. The rest of the disciples have fled, but Peter just can't stay away. He had to see what would happen to his master. How, what would be the final outcome of Jesus? So he had some courage, but he, hadn't had, but he didn't have sufficient courage to identify with him discreetly following at a distance. So, there he is. He finds himself in the courtyard with Caiaphas. He's mixing with all the guards and mixing with the servants, mixing with everyone else who would gather for this occasion. He's afraid. He's afraid. That's why he fled. But he can't stay away. His love for his master is genuine, but it is weak. Peter's not the only disciple to stay away. Oh, sorry, Peter's not the only disciple who couldn't stay away. We know that John, in his gospel, he tells us that he is there. He doesn't mention his name, but we know it's him. In fact, we, we read in John's gospel that John is known to Caiaphas. And as a result, John's able to get right in, into the palace grounds. And he then goes and has a word with a servant and gets Peter, Peter inside. You find that, you sir, in uh, John 18, verses 15 and 16. What happens to John after that, we don't know. There isn't another record of where he goes, what happens to him. But our focus is on Peter. So having got inside Caiaphas' palace... He mingles, hoping that nobody's going to notice him. There'd be a large number of people in the courtyard. There would be soldiers, there'd be officials, there'd be servants. There'd be lots of other people who have gathered. So he mingles. He waits to see how it will end. Of course, if you'd only listened to Jesus, he didn't need to follow him to know how it would all end. Jesus had told the disciples in this gospel alone, it's on three occasions, he tells the disciples what will happen. Chapter 16, verse 21, for example. Where we read, 
From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed on the third day, and be raised. Chapter 17, verse 22, get the same thing. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed, we're told. Likewise, chapter 20, verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles be marked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. So he didn't really need to follow Jesus to see how it would end. Yeah, all you do is listen to Jesus. But somehow or other, the disciples just couldn't quite work it out what Jesus meant in those three occasions. So here's Peter. He's in the courtyard. He's trying not to be noticed. And a servant girl approaches him. And we see there in verse 69, came to him and said, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. Well, you're with Jesus the Galilean. That term, Galilee or Galilean, it was used as a term of disdain. Particularly by those who lived in Jerusalem. They felt that they were superior to those who lived up north. Now we must not think the servant girls are quietly whispered in Peter's ear. No, verse 70 tells us that he actually... Denied it before them all, notice. So he didn't just deny it to her. He denied it before the crowd who were there on that occasion. And if you compare the the various gospel records of, of this, you'll find that the servant girl... ...is says something slightly different in each translation. And that may indicate that actually she repeated this a number of times... And so the gospel writers are just writing down, and one chooses this one, one chooses the other one. So is it a, if, if you like, it's just public. He was with Jesus the Galilean. Listen, everybody, he's with Jesus the Galilean. And what does Peter say? Verse 7, he makes it absolutely clear. I do not know what you're saying. Or, I don't have a clue what you mean. Well, Peter knew exactly what the girl meant, didn't he? Peter, you're one of his followers, aren't you? That's a question that Peter's answer, or that that's a question that Peter's answering, and his answer is very ambiguous, isn't it? It's the answer of a politician, really. This is Peter, the Apostle Peter. The Peter who's called by Christ to be his disciple. The one who had lived and learned from Christ. The one who had witnessed incredible miracles done by his master. The one who's considered to be the leader of the disciples. The one who had faith to walk on water when Jesus called him. This is not an immature believer here. This is someone who for three years has been learning from his master. The greatest teacher of all time. 
He has witnessed some incredible things, things that most people could ever only ever dream about. And here he is denying his master. I don't know what you're saying. I think it tells us that we all need to be aware. Because if it happened to Peter, it could happen to you. It could happen to me. It certainly happened to John that I introduced at the beginning. We all need to learn to be on our guard. Earlier when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he told disciples to watch and pray that they may not enter into temptation. And that temptation may be the temptation to deny our Savior. We need to be on our spiritual toes. I think Peter learnt from this because later in his book he writes, being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter wasn't going to make the same mistake again. So let's not fear our saviour when we're asked, are you one of Jesus' disciples? How would you answer that? If it was directly put to you and there's a crowd of people Maybe a hostile crowd of people around you. Are you one of those born-again Christians? Well, I think we need to be careful how we may answer that question. Because you wouldn't want to do what John did and think that he would do anything for his master, but the very next morning he didn't even speak up when he was asked about if he was a Christian. Peter's caught off guard, isn't he? And it's, so often it is those times, isn't it? Those moments when we're not prepared. It's okay when we're doing evangelism, we're giving out tracts, we're preaching in the open air, we're doing some door-to-door work, whatever else we're doing. We're on our guard, we're prepared, we're ready, we're expecting people to come back and ask us questions, but what about those instance in our life when it just comes out of the blue at unexpected times in our places of work, at our shops at the hairdressers, wherever it may be and we clam up and we deny our Lord just like Peter see it's often when we're not expecting it that questions about our faith arises and often those questions are not questions of inquiry, but questions of the risen towards us. Poor Peter. Let's learn from Peter. Let's not think that because we have been Christians for decades that it couldn't happen to us. It could. It might. Remember what Paul said to the church at Conth? Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. The very text that I've titled this sermon for this evening, Take Heed Lest You Fall. So Peter, having denied his Lord once, he makes a hasty retreat. He withdraws to the gateway. That's probably the exit door. Probably entrance and exit. So he doesn't want to leave the scene because this is his master here after all this is Jesus and he loves Jesus he just can't bring himself to leave completely 
His master, after all, was being falsely accused. He's being mistreated. He doesn't want to abandon him in his moment of need. But at the same time, he just somehow cannot muster the courage to boldly proclaim, I am with Jesus. And we've all found ourselves in that situation, I suggest. So, not wanting to abandon him, unable to find the courage to identify with him, just imagine this scene. Maybe my imagination is a bit vivid, but I just see him just sort of quietly making his way from the, from the crowd, making his way near the exit door. Not wanting to draw attention to himself, just slowly taking two or three steps back and another two three, three steps back until he gets near the exit door. And then he has another opportunity to actually identify with his master. Because another seven girl, we're told in verse 71, draws, draws attention of the bystanders, or those who are gathered around. And he says to Peter, she says to the crowd about Peter, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. This fellow was with Jesus. Whoops, Peter, you've been rumbled once again. What are you going to do this time, Peter? Has he learned his lesson? Well, you know the story, don't you? But if you were reading this for the very first time, those are questions that you'd be asking, wouldn't you? Are you going to make up for it this time, Peter? And the answer, of course, becomes clear. Peter denies the Lord, and this time he does it with an oath. Verse 72, he denies with an oath. I do not know the man. That's a lie, Peter, isn't it? Peter, you've been fishing with this man. You've been listening to this man. You've been observing miracles with this man. You actually walked in water because of this man. And in using an oath, he's actually calling upon God to be his witness in what he's saying. Oath-taking was a very serious thing within the Jewish culture. As it is indeed in our law of court, it's a, it's a, it's a perjury if you, if you tell lies under oath. He says something like, God be my judge, I don't know the man. Peter, you're a liar. He's piling up his sins here, isn't he? How could someone like Peter, a disciple of Jesus, lie, outright lie, and use God's name in the process? Where's his courage gone? Why is he doing this? Well, we'll find out in a minute, I think. But let's finish the denials because there's one more, isn't it? A little later, Luke and his gospel tells it, it's one hour later. The bystanders, or those who have stood around, come up to Peter and say, ah, Certainly you too are one of them. I detect an accent there, don't I? Verse 73. They say to Peter, surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. That's a Galilean accent, isn't it, Peter? A Galilean accent, I'm told, was easy recognisable. I guess it's a bit like the Irish accent, isn't it? I always say, you take a man out of Belfast, you never take a Belfast out of the man, that's what I say. Well, here's Peter being called to stand up for Jesus once again. 
If you're watching this in a drama, there would now be a pause. The music would become more intense. If you didn't know what was happening, you'd be saying to yourself and shouting at the screen, Peter, speak up, tell the truth this time, Peter. Come on, be a man. But Peter, for the third time, denies it, Lord. And it seems this time he's getting more agitated and more exasperated as he responds because he invokes a curse upon himself and so he swears to God that he does not know the man, verse 74. He began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. And by invoking a, a curse here, by, by swearing in this situation, Peter is in effect saying, if I lie, may God strike me down dead. That's what he's basically saying. It's to sort of try and reinforce the fact that he doesn't know the man. It's like saying, God is my witness, I'm telling the truth. Could you believe it? Here's Peter, leader of disciples, taking the Lord's name in vain. Claiming to tell the truth when he's lying through his teeth. How can that happen? How can a true believer stoop so low? Well, let's examine that now. But just before we do, just notice when Peter denies his Lord for the third time, the rooster crows, just as Jesus predicted it would happen in verse 34. And then Peter remembered what Jesus had said would, would happen. What Jesus said would happen has happened. What Peter said would never happen has happened. Now let's turn and try and get some hints from the text as to why Peter denied his Lord. In order to understand why Peter denied the Lord, you have to observe, a, I think, a gradual decline in his spiritual life. This denial is really a result of what's been showing up in Peter's life throughout this chapter. Let me show you what I mean. If we go back to verse 31, please, in our, in our passage, Jesus predicts that all his disciples will fall away. Verse 31, Jesus said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. And in verse 33, Peter is having none of it. Peter said, answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. No way, Lord. I will never fall away. The rest of this, these disciples may do so, yeah, I can imagine that. But not me, Lord, not me. He's obviously strong feelings of devotion for his Lord here, isn't he? He can't imagine a situation that his love for Christ would ever feel. Well, that was true of that man, John, wasn't it? He cannot perceive a situation arising where he would not stand up and be counted when the moment comes. I would suggest to you that's the beginning of his downfall. He's become self-confident. Self-confident in his own ability to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to this point. He's so confident in his own ability to stand up for Jesus Christ that he's even willing to say, actually, you've got it wrong, Master. You've got it wrong. 
Jesus did, did Jesus just not say, oh, by the way, you will all stumble because of me? That's what Jesus said. And that will be as, as a fulfillment of an Old Testament uh, a prediction where a strike a shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered from Zechariah. Here he is saying to the eternal Son of God, you've got it wrong. I think that's the beginning of his downfall. He's become self-confident. Self-confident in himself. Self-confident in his own abilities. They will fall away, not me, Lord. He is, in effect, isn't he, saying, I actually know better than you, Lord. Oh, he would never say that, would he? But that's what he's saying, isn't it? In effect, that's what he's saying. Yes, I heard what you said, Lord, but actually you've got it wrong. I will not fall away. He's actually disbelieving the word of God now. And when the moment comes, when he's asked for the third time if he knows the man, he simply responds by invoking a curse and saying, I do not know the man. Why? Because he's become self-confident in his own ability. And your fall and my fall will take place when we become self-confident. Rather than depending upon the daily grace of God to uphold us. If we think for one moment that we can walk with Christ and follow Christ in our own strength, then take heed lest you fall. And his downfall begins before it actually happens, before it actually takes place. It begins here where he becomes self-confident in himself and in his own ability. And he's beginning to doubt the very words of his own master. He knows better than the Lord and that's what happens. And it can be a real danger to those of us who are on this pathway for a very long time. I just reflected the other night, 45 years ago, when Christ saved me. It's a long time on the road, isn't it? And yet, every day, I'm susceptible to falling if it's not, if it's not only for the grace of God who upholds me and uphold you day after day after day. And when you think that you've made it, or I think I've made it spiritually, then that should set alarms going in our, in our head. If we think that we are not capable of falling to the degree that Peter has fallen here, then wake up, my dear brothers and sisters. If it could happen to Peter, it could happen to you. And if you're long in the Christian pathway, then you will be able to rhyme off names of people that you know, people that I know, who have done a Peter and have denied their Lord. Some to the extent that they no longer even claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ.
So the Lord Jesus tells Peter directly in verse 34, Surely I say to you this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And even then, Peter hasn't woken up, has he? Verse 35, even if I have to die with you, I will, den- I will not deny you, Lord. He just said to him, you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times. And what does Peter say? If I've got to die with you, I'm not going to do that, Lord. That's interesting. And so said all the disciples. I don't know what it's like, but maybe somebody says, oh, Peter says that. I've got to say that. I've got to do that too. Yeah, Lord, I, I'll do it. I'll never do that. I'll die too, Lord. See, he's so full of himself, isn't he, sadly? So confident that he will die for Christ before he denies him. And the Lord is very straight with him. He tells him specifically, yes, Peter, you will three times. You'll deny me. In spite of that, he still will not accept it. If you know yourself, if you know your own heart, if I know myself and my own heart, I hope that you will not be as so foolish as Peter to say, I will die for you, Christ. I will die for you, Master, before I deny you. You might want to say, by the grace of God, with the help of God, I'm prepared to die for you, Lord. But let's not be so confident that we say, I will die for you, Lord. Because if God, for one moment, withheld his grace from us or removed from us the Holy Spirit for one moment, our faith would collapse and we would go back to being unbelievers who deny the Lord. We are what we are, as Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And any progress that you have made in the Christian walk is all because of God and his grace and his mercy and kindness towards us. And if we in any way have the thought or entertain a thought that actually this is something to do with us, that we have actually cracked this now, that we understand this now, that we're not going to give up now, then that's the first step to decline. One final thought and then we'll finish. I think there's a further aspect of decline, which is seen in verse 40. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane takes Peter, James and John. He goes a little bit further. He gives them clear instructions in verse 38. What's with me? What's with me? Well, watch and pray. And then what do you read? He comes back and find the disciples and find them sleeping. And he said, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now here's Jesus at a crisis point in his life. He's about to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for sin. He is about to meet with his 
his father in Gethsemane. He pours out his own soul to him, asking, is there any other way? And if not, then thy will be done. And here he is, he says, I need you now. You are my colleagues. You are my friends. You are my disciples. Watch and pray. I need you. And he goes for it, and he comes back, and they're sleeping. And it happens again and again. So Peter Self-confident Peter. Peter, a doubter of the word of Christ. And Peter, a sleepy, prayerless disciple. Those are the signs. They are the signs of decline. They are the signs that we could be the next one who denies our Lord. Self-confident, a doubter of the word of God, a sleepy believer, a prayerless believer. And before you know it, you say, I don't know the man. <laughs> 